Coming up right now, the newest episode from Carr, Gwyn, and Ode on Three Pagans and a Cat. But after all, who knows and who can say whence it all came and how creation happened? The gods themselves are later than creation, so who knows truly whence it has arisen? Welcome to Storytelling Creation Myths, the 41st episode of Three Pagans and a Cat. Our opening today is courtesy of A.L. Basham's translation of the Rig Veda. You may call me Ode. You can call me Carr. I'm Ode's father. Mary Meat. My name is Gwyn, Ode's mother. Were you not sure about yeah, that? Yeah, there was an uncertainty there. <laughs> Wait, father, I'm mother, mother, I'm one of those. I'm one of Ode's parents. It starts, with, it starts with her. <laughs> it, ends it ends with her. It ends with her. It ends with her. Yeah. <laughs> Whatever. You're my Earth half. It's Ur of the Chaldeans. I don't know. <laughs> All right. Okay. So we're talking about creation myths today. Right. That's what we're doing. We're doing the storytelling again. Uh, we started that with the shenanigans episode where we retold some silly stories. And now we're going to tell creation myths. But before we get into all that, we have our three usual... Three new patrons. Yeah, our usual uh, bookkeeping stuff to do. So we have three new patrons. They are Rana, Dahlia Darge, and Ashley Brock. Yay! Welcome, new patrons. Welcome yes. and thank you. And we actually have Rana in the uh, yep. Discord. Rana's here with in us in the Discord. Yep. So welcome. Which is the, the perk of being a hunter. That's right. You get to listen live to our shenanigans and, and comment ask, on them. Ask questions if they you know if you want to, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Let me just say holy crap, Justin's here <gasps> as we start. <gasps> Justin! Justin! Yay! <laughs> <laughs> We're always excited to see Justin. That's right. He's our Jaguar. And, and he is, he's our Jaguar. Greetings. And he doesn't often uh, have the opportunity to be here with us in the live recording. Right, That's exactly. Because right. so. he's busy. Right. That's right. He busy. actually lives a life. You know? <laughs> I know. <laughs> we don't. No. Now, my life certainly revolves around getting prepared for this. <laughs> right. Just so everybody knows, there are no commercials this week because we're on the third recording of the month. Yeah. So the reward for one of our Patreon tiers, I forget which one exactly. <laughs> is that Is it Tigers? Tigers. Yeah, yeah. Tigers. So the reward for the Tigers is that they get a commercial, a commercial read once a month. Yep. Uh, we have four of them now, so we've had to break them up uh, into two uh, per episode. But since this is our third episode of the month, we've already done all our commercials for the month. Yep. So hopefully this episode will be a little bit shorter. <laughs> Doubtful. Doubtful. <laughs> We're telling creation myths. Yes, well. Yes, well. I'm holding out hope. Carr and Gwyn are having their hand fasting uh, imminently. During a Beltane ritual. Yep. At Arts yeah. and Craft. Which is going to be officiated by our friends Pat and Paul, who mm-hmm. own Arts and Craft. And I wanted to give a shout out and a thank you to our beloved Magnolia Rains. Yes. A box of rain, because she created our hand fasting cords for us. Yep. A special request. Uh-huh. Yep. And then she very sweetly added a couple of candles and some rice, which we're going to incorporate into the ritual. Yep. Mm-hmm. So thank you, Magnolia. Again, yes. So it's Box of Rain on Etsy. We absolutely love everything. Yeah, I still do. I still use uh, salts and rices we got from Magnolia Rain's. So many moons ago. Yeah, that's looks like right, Rana right. bought some of them as well. Oh, good, yeah, yeah. good. Yeah, all of Magnolia's things are wonderful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We highly recommend Box of Rain on Etsy. Go check it out. Yep, yep. exactly. Yep. I think that's it. Yeah, I think that's, that's all, of our, all of our housekeeping. Yeah. All of our usual Do we want to get reviews stuff? out of the way right away? Uh, sure, yeah, let's do that. And then yeah, we, can we can sort of focus on right. the stories yep. and the segments. Because we got a very special thing that we're reviewing yeah. today. Guess what? It's time for reviews! I almost forgot to let him do the thing. I was going to say, you almost jumped right into it. <laughs> I did, because I'm so excited about what we're reviewing. So, 
What we're reviewing is we received, unexpectedly, these uh, mala beads, Mm -hmm. which were sent to us by Amber Designs. Amber Designs 93. Amber Designs 93, yes. The Etsy store is etsy.com slash shop slash Amber Designs 93. That's Amber Designs, as in, like, plural, designs, and the numbers 93. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you can also contact them at amberdesigns93 at gmail.com. That's right. And what, again, what she sent us was mm-hmm. uh, basically mala bead necklaces, but yeah. you can also convert them into bracelets, which is really wonderful. I wear it as a bracelet. I wear it as both. I've used it as a necklace. I've worn it as a bracelet and I've used the beads as a as meditation a, yeah. device and they're wonderful. And when Amber sent these to us, she did tell us what, how, you know, how she made them because mm-hmm. she intuited these beads and their design for each of us individually. Yeah, so these are stone beads. Mm-hmm. The malas are made out of stone beads. They're, so it's 108 beads, and then there's what's called a guru bead, which mm-hmm. is a slightly larger one that's at the, in this case, the um, the center of the necklace, sort of where a pendant is, right? Mm-hmm. And then there is an actual pendant following on from the guru bead. In my case, it's a Mjolnir, a Thor's hammer. Mm-hmm. And for Gwyn... It is a charm that has all four seasons, Mm -hmm. which I've never seen a charm like that. So it's absolutely gorgeous. I love it. And then for mine, my necklace represents the four seasons because I'm I'm a green witch. And so there's magnesite, which is the basic form of the... That's most of the beads. Most of the beads. And then there are lapis lazuli for winter, tiger's eye for autumn, carnelian for spring... Jade for summer, and then an African turquoise is the guru bead. Mm-hmm. The sort of base of my uh, mala beads are howlite, which she apparently chose howlite as the base after she heard me talking about howlite mm-hmm. on an old stone right. corner. Mm-hmm. And then there are red jasper stones spread through it in segments of nine. So there will be nine white howlite beads, and then a red jasper, nine white howlites, mm-hmm. then a red jasper. Uh, and then the guru bead is a carnelian. Yeah. I absolutely love my beads. Mm-hmm. Um, I, as I said, I've, I've worn them as a bracelet. I've used them as a necklace and I've used them to do meditation. And I found them especially effective using them for meditation. And so I, I really, I love having these. Thank you so much, Amber, for sending these to us. I highly recommend these. I, I went and looked. She has some sets that are pre-made that mm-hmm. people can purchase, but she does do special requests. And what I love about the beads that she created for us is that she did take into account what our paths were. Mm-hmm. And then she used her intuition to create the best set right. for our path. And that's actually why Carr doesn't have a set. That's because right. she couldn't get one to come together for him and she didn't want to send him something that didn't that wasn't effective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I think she really she uses her own giftings mm-hmm. and her and her craft to create something that is incredibly useful. And I highly recommend these to anyone, whether you use them for meditation or just as a pretty ritual necklace or, or uh, just nice jewelry. Uh, and just talking about the quality of them, they're very well put together. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, these are stone beads, so like you can definitely feel the weight in them, which I find very useful when I'm doing meditation. Tried to do like uh, mantra meditations, essentially, which is what you do with yeah. these, mm-hmm. um, where you sort of recite the same mantra every time you run your fingers over a bead. And I've tried to do that with other things before, and with like plastic beads, it's just not effective. Yeah. Like you can barely feel the beads, but these are you know real genuine stone beads. They have weight to them. They have their own energy to them. Yep. The cord is actually knotted between each bead. There's a 
distinction between each bead. You can clearly feel the space between each one. My so it's very that's and that's a traditional. Yeah, it's a technique. traditional. Yeah. Way that's what of sets it aside mala. from just like a bead necklace, right? Because I've actually bought other mala beads in the past that were just. Uh, strong on strong elastic, on, or, on elastic yeah. and they do not I did not get the same effect from them of using them as meditation they ultimately ended up just being a piece of jewelry mm-hmm. right. whereas this is a functional mala so highly so, recommend Amber Designs 93 yep. Etsy that's it for reviews I changed it on purpose <laughs> Okay, so are we ready to do... Yeah. All right, well, do you, do you want to start yeah, us off? Yeah, sure, I can go ahead and start us off. The first creation myth that I'm going to share is from the Hindu religion. And I, I found this really to be very beautiful and very interesting. And as I was reading about it, actually, you know, Hindus believe that creation has stopped and started and has been cyclical. Mm-hmm. So they have a multiple, I guess creation stories, but this is one of them. The Hindus believe that there is one supreme spirit of the universe, but the gods and goddesses are are different shapes or ways or aspects Mm -hmm. of, of the one supreme deity. According to Hindu mythology, there was a time when there was no heaven, there was no earth, there was no space between, there was nothing but a vast dark ocean which washed upon the shores of nothingness and licked upon the edges of the night. A giant cobra floated on the waters. Asleep within its endless coils lay the Lord Vishnu. He was watched over by the mighty serpent. Everything was so peaceful and silent that Vishnu slept undisturbed by dreams or motion, and from the depths of a humming sound began to tremble. Aum, the sacred Aum. sound Aum. And it grew and it spread and it created energy. And from that, the night ended and Vishnu awoke. And as Vishnu's dawn was created from Vishnu awaking, and from his navel, a magnificent lotus flower was created. And in the middle of the blossom sat Vishnu's servant, Brahma. And he awaited his Lord's command, and Vishnu spoke to his servant and said, It's the time to begin. And so Brahma bowed, and Vishnu commanded, Create the world. And a wind swept up the waters, and Vishnu and the serpent vanished. Brahma remained in the lotus flower, floating and tossing on the sea. And he lifted up his arms, and he calmed the wind and the ocean. And then Brahma split the lotus flower into three. And he stretched one part into the heavens, and he made another part into the earth. And with the third part of the flower, he created the skies. The earth was bare, and so Brahma set to work, and he created grass and flowers and trees and plants of all kinds, and to these he gave feeling. Next he created the animals and the insects to live on the land, and he made birds to fly through the air and fish to swim in the sea, and to all of these creatures he gave senses of touch and smell, and then he gave them the power to see and hear and move. And soon the world was bristling with life and the air was filled with the sounds of Brahma's creation. That's just one of their many creation myths. Funny though, and this will relate to later, Mm. that there is a Brahma bull, Mm -hmm. which is named after Brahmins, which are Hindu priests, who are named after Brahma, Brahma. Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. god who created everything. So Mm -hmm. 
Interesting. Yeah, so I thought it was really interesting because there's, you know, basically what I was reading is that, you know, we have Vishnu starting and stopping, you know, creating and destroying the, the world over and over again in a cycle in, in many of these stories. So, like I said, this is just one of the stories where Vishnu... We're uh, on a startup. Said, yeah, did, you know, <laughs> said, okay, Rama, go for it. And we're on startup number 50. <laughs> Let's see what you can do with it. You know. So Vishnu's basically a serial world creator. Basically. <laughs> like yeah. a serial entrepreneur. And I think that's also where um, perhaps Kali comes into play in dis- a destroyer as well as a creator. Because I think in some of the stories... Kali has destroyed the world and then helped recreate it through Vishnu. So, gotcha. There are many gods in Hindu. Oh, there are hundreds in mythology. Hindu mythology, yeah. Hindu religion, and I can't keep track of how many there are, much less how many stories there <laughs> are. I know that's why I said this is you know this is just one of the many. But I thought it was it was really interesting and very beautiful that even when in the story they said there's nothing. But yet there was actually, in the story, there was. There's the there sea. was the sea yeah. lapped on the shores of nothingness. Mm-hmm. And within it was, you know, the Lord Vishnu who was lying on a giant snake. Mm-hmm. You know? um, I would not mind a lotus flower popping out of my belly button, though. <laughs> I'm just saying. And apparently that is how the lotus, that's the story of how the lotus flower was created as well. Mm. So I just think it was a very interesting story. Yeah. And there are so many different variations on creation and how the world came to be just because even though they only have they believe in one ultimate deity right there are just hundreds and hundreds of different gods so thousands yeah Yeah. many many muchness yes many so so brahma then would be one aspect of Mm -hmm. just as vishnu is one aspect of so Mm -hmm. they're all so so Brahma as, as Vishnu, right, right. But yeah. I'm here. Yeah. I am for this moment in what we had just talked about, right? Yes, there. Brahma as Vishnu's servant mm-hmm. is also Vishnu. Yes, basically. Yeah, <laughs> that's where it gets confusing because they're all one, uh-huh. and yet they're all different. And Brahma is doing Vishnu's will, but Brahma is Vishnu. Right. So, (laughs) and when Vishnu leaves, (laughs) technically he doesn't because Brahma's still there. That's right. So, and if there are any Hindus listening by some strange circumstance, please feel free to correct if I got that myth wrong. (laughs) By the way, there are 33 million Hindu gods. Oh, okay. I take it back. There are there are many, many, many more than I realized. (laughs) I just I think that one's cool. I I heard it. On a mini series one day that was talking about you but know, deity, deity talking about the idea of deity, and so they were exploring. The Is that Hindu. the one with Morgan Freeman? Yes. <laughs> Morgan Freeman just should voice over everything ever made. And so he does. He, this was the story that he shared was this particular story, and I thought it was really cool. Uh, I like it. Also, it's one of the sort of the gentlest creation narratives out there. It is incredibly gentle, and there's it's just no, like, there's no. It's very chill. It's a very relaxed. Just go create the world now. Go create. It's time to begin again. Uh-huh. Let's just go do my will, Brahma, and create the world as, the you, most, flo- as you float on your lotus yeah, flower. The most violent thing in that creation narrative is the wind. Yeah. Right, yeah. Well, and, and Brahma did have to divide the lotus into three parts. Right, but it doesn't seem to have been done, like, maliciously. No, no, you're right. I think it is probably one of the the most gentle, and I think that's what makes it beautiful. Mm-hmm. It, it's this beautiful... Uh, description of creation, which mm-hmm. I think should be beautiful. Yeah, that's interesting. I will start off with the one I know most about, I guess. Sure, so yeah. I'll start off with the Norse creation mythology. We have the most complete story through Snorri, obviously. 
in the prose edda. So that's what we're going to go with because all the other stuff we have is fragmented, essentially. So it's difficult to know how much of this cosmology is authentic and how much is uh, influenced by Snorri's other resources. But this is what we have, so this is where we're going to go with. So, in the beginning, as it were, (laughs) there was Ginungagap. Ginungagap is... Oh, please say that again. Ginungagap. I love that name. Ginungagap is the primal void. The gap part of Ginungagap means the same thing it means in English, which is a space, Mm. a nothing, something between things. And we don't actually know what Ginung means, but the theory is that it means something like magically charged Mm. or enchanted in some way. Mm -hmm. So Ginungagap, therefore, is the magical void. And that's what there was before there was anything, was Ginungagap. Somehow, in Ganungagap, or possibly surrounding Ganungagap, there were also two elemental planes. Those were Muspelheim, the land of fire and heat, and Niflheim, the land of ice and mist. And they were separated by the great expanse of Ganungagap. Because Ganungagap is essentially the void. It's essentially nothing. It's impossible to know how wide it was and how far apart these lands were. They were just separated somehow by some distance by the void. Right. The magical void. The magical void. Mm -hmm. Over time, and how much time exactly, it is impossible to know, the roiling flames of Muspelheim and the creeping mists of Niflheim spread out into Ginungagap and gradually encroached on it, shrinking the void. And when they met at the center, the heat of Muspelheim melted the ice of Niflheim, and the drops of water fell into the void and collected together. And when they gathered, they formed the first being, Ymir. Ymir is the first giant, usually given masculine pronouns, but is technically a hermaphrodite. I call Ymir the mother-father of giants. And reproduced asexually. So there were no other beings. There was only Ymir, you know, in Ginungagap, in the void, Mm -hmm. created from the confluence of these forces. And every time Ymir slept, new giants would be born from his sweat. So, you know, giants would be spontaneously produced by Ymir uh, and joined him in the void. Hmm. I wish that would happen with me. (laughs) Also springing into existence, and we don't know exactly how or why, was Adomla. Adomla is uh, what I call the cosmic cow. (laughs) Because she is a cow who came, who was maybe created the same way Emitter was from the, the, The the two realms colliding. Or maybe came from somewhere else, spontaneously generated. It's not clear. Nobody knows for sure. Nobody knows for sure where the cosmic cow came from. It's like with the Hindu one. Where did the snake come from? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) No one knows where Adomla came from. But she provided nourishment to Ymir. Uh, She provided milk to Ymir. And how she sustained herself was that she licked the salt from the ice of Niflheim. Mm. And... As she licked the salt, she gradually, obviously, licked away some of the, of the salt in the ice, and she uncovered Buri. Buri was the first of the Aesir. We don't know how he got into the ice. 
<laughs> we don't know if he just I, was. He just was. He just was trapped in the ice somehow, and we don't know if Adompla intentionally uncovered him or if it was just she was hungry and he happened to be there. <laughs> but she gradually licked Buri free of the ice, uh, and over time, somehow, Buri had a son named Bor. We don't know if. Buri was also reproducing asexually, like Ymir, or if Buri had relationship with one of Ymir's giant children, mm -hmm. or with Ymir. <laughs> somehow. <laughs> But somehow he got a son named Bor. It happened. And Bor got together with Bestla. We do know that Bestla was a giant. Okay. So she was descended from Ymir. <laughs> so Bor got together with Bestla and had three children, Odin, Vili, and Ve, or Odin, Honir, and Lothar, depending on which source you're using. For reasons undisclosed, <laughs> as is so often the case here, Odin and his brothers decide to murder Ymir. Rude. It, it is never <laughs> explained why they decide to murder Ymir, who is the, the first being and without whom... None of them would exist. <laughs> But they decide to do that, and they succeed. There is no record of this fight, if Ymir struggled at all, or if they just killed him in his sleep, we don't know. But they killed Ymir. And from Ymir's corpse, they created material reality. They took his blood and used it to fashion oceans. His flesh is the land. Mm -hmm. His brains are the clouds in the sky, and the dome of his skull is the sky above us. Okay. So they create Midgard, which is the world we live in, mm -hmm. material reality, from the corpse of Ymir, the, the first being. Mm -hmm. Which is why I usually refer to the Earth, not as Gaia or as even mm. one of the Earth goddesses in Norse mythology, Or like Nerthus. Yeah, I, I don't refer to the Earth as the Earth Mother. Uh, I refer to the Earth as Ymir's corpse mm. because we grow on the remnants of this first great being. Gotcha. And, and then uh, over time, as Odin and his brothers are exploring uh, the world they've created out of Ymir's corpse, mm -hmm. they come across two things. There's some debate about what these things are. The mysterious things. The mysterious things. Mm -hmm. Either they are the trunks of two trees uprooted, or they are inert beings fashioned by the dwarves. Where do the dwarves come from? It's actually not clear where the dwarves <laughs> come from. Or the elf. Or the, or the uh, it's not clear where the, the elves or the dwarves came from, just that they exist. Okay. <laughs> sort of the same Kinda way that... like the cow. Right, like Adombla, and sort okay. of in the same way we don't know why Muspelheim and Niflheim exist. Okay, um, they just happen to be They there. just exist, they just gotcha. do. But so the dwarves were very into crafting things. <laughs> As dwarves are tend to do. Exactly. And so it's possible that the dwarves crafted two inert beings, or it's possible that Odin and, and his brothers found two uprooted trees. Hmm. It's not clear which, because the true things that they found were named Asker and Embla. Asker means ash, as in the tree. Mm -hmm. And Embla might mean elm, or it might mean water pot, or it might mean, like, three <laughs> other things. 
Water pot. Water pot. Hmm. It might mean several things. <laughs> the etymology is unclear. The narrative I choose to embrace, because it's the one that's the most internally consistent, mm-hmm. is that Askr and Embla were trees. Mm-hmm. Originally grown on Ymir's corpse and then uprooted somehow, mm-hmm. um, cast into the sea, and then washed up on the shore where Odin and his brothers find them. Yeah. And Odin and his brothers, finding these things, fashioned them into the first human beings. Ah. Askr becomes the first man, mm-hmm. and Embla becomes the first woman. Mm-hmm. And each of the brothers gives gifts to the things that they find, to mm-hmm. Askr and Embla. They give form and fairness of face, and in Odin's case, Ond, which is breath. Mm-hmm. So spirit Spirit, or soul. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, essence. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then set them free to uh, populate this otherwise empty world that mm-hmm. they had created mm-hmm. uh, and set aside Midgard for them. So Very cool. That's the Norse cosmology. I like that. I like that. And I also have to say, I think some of the, the comments that we are getting over here in the Discord are, they good? are hilarious <laughs> because... It, it's true that it is somebody always dies and it's not fair. That's what I, that's what I liked actually about the the Vedic uh, creation myth is nobody, nobody dies in that one. At least, well, at least not in that one. <laughs> not in the one you told. Because uh, again, according to right, what I'm sure, I read, I'm sure in other been, creation myths people have died. Well, yeah, and according to what I read, there's been like multiple universes, cycles. Yeah. Right. cycles. So they ha- they basically kind of have a multiverse mm-hmm. cosmology. We just happen to be in this one right now. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and therefore, there been, it's the one we're concerned with. That, that's, <laughs> yes, exactly. But there are apparently, uh, in the in the Hindu cosmology, there have been previous incarnations oh, and, uh, of reality. Yeah. By the way, it's not clear what happened to Adhomla or to the other giants or to the other gods who were in the void before Midgard was created. <laughs> it's not clear what happens to them. Do we think that um, North, some of this Norse mythology is where J.R.R. Tolkien got his idea for Middle-earth? It is oh, yeah. absolutely yep. 100% known that it is factually yep. that yep. this is where because, he got you know, almost he was... all of the stuff for Middle-earth, okay, yeah. including yeah. the name Middle-earth. Middle earth, yeah. True, true, true. Midgard. <laughs> But, um, because, you know, like the dwarves and, and all oh, the yeah. things that, and yeah. the elves. Yeah. From that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. It's all 100%. Well, he, the reason I ask Yeah, he actually because, studied Scandinavian mythology. Okay. Because the reason I ask is because so many people liken it because he was known to be a Christian. Mm-hmm. They liken his entire series, uh, both the Ring Trilogy and The Hobbit, to being Christian allegory. allegory. Yeah, no. Which Nina has specifically said it wasn't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's why I'm saying I'm sitting here listening to go Like, to it's this great going, to compare shit like that, yeah. but, like, yeah, when no. the author but, says but, no... But yeah, death of the I'm, author, I can understand. Right. Exactly. And I'm sitting here listening to the, to the, Norse, the Norse mythology yeah. going, that's got to totally be where, <laughs> yes. you know, where J.R.R. Tolkien got all of his shit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He actually, uh, a bunch of the dwarven names... Mm-hmm. in The Silmarillion and in The Lord of the Rings mm-hmm. were direct transliterations from, of the names of dwarves from, from fair. mythology. Right, fair, yeah, fair, yeah fair. which is what Sweetie yeah. just said, including oh, yeah. Gandalf. Yes, yeah. 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 Very cool. Yeah, Alf actually means elf, so like... Uh, Rana said, uh, not that anyone cares. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rana. But, but I find this interesting. Uh, my ancestors believed the earth was always here. Humans lived inside of her, but not in very humanish form. The sun god wanted to help them out and sent the spider woman, or grandmother, 
to the people to raise them up to the surface where they were transformed into cliff dwellers and later the Pueblo tribes who still exist on the Pueblos. My grandfather was born on one. Oh, that's, that's cool shit. Very yeah. cool, Rana. Yeah. We do we are Thank we do you. care. Why the fuck do you think we wouldn't care, Rana? I that's beautiful. I yeah. love that. That's Absolutely. wonderful. Thank you I for have sharing that. Past the Pueblos, but I've never stopped, so maybe at some point yeah, we, we can, can like go. make our way west and go yeah, see them. I would love that kind of stuff. to see that. That's, That's very wonderful. cool. Yeah. And I've, I'm familiar with uh, with some of the Spider Woman's mythology. Just right. I'm a little bit, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, I didn't know that that humans used to live in the earth and were drawn out right. onto the surface. That's very interesting. Yeah, yeah. and um, Rana was is just saying about where her grandfather was born. Isleta Pueblo. That is very cool. Yeah, Thank I you. like that. Yeah. Thank That's you for very, sharing very cool. that. That's very cool. See, this is why we like having the Discord here. That's right. Right. Yeah, because <laughs> we get schooled. Uh-huh. And because, exactly. Well, and we can only cover so much content, but like there are hundreds of thousands oh, of creation so myths in the world. Yeah. You know, we're only going to cover six. <laughs> That's right. There are so many different stories and mm-hmm. variations and, you know. And so like I have, and I've mentioned this before, I think, where... Um, I've come to a place where I just accept that all things are true yeah. equally somehow. Yeah. Multiverses, I guess, to get back to that. Yeah, multiverses. Um, but so, like, I don't have any trouble accepting that literally all of these things could be true simultaneously. Sure. Exactly. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So, and- I like, I enjoy that aspect of, like, sort of fitting them together into a cohesive whole. Yeah. And what I like is that there are similarities Mm-hmm. And so many of the stories, you know, I, I just, I think it's very cool that there are, you know, just little, little bits of like, where the fuck did the cow come from? Where did the cow come right. from? I don't know. We, we just don't, don't know, know where the snake came from either. And we don't, <laughs> and we don't know where she went. And we <laughs> don't know why there were, you know. Why was Burri buried in the ice? Who knows? Exactly. <laughs> and how, and why were the, you know, ancestors in the earth, in, right. you know, right. Rana's people? Why, I mean, why, you know. why did the sun god decide they should be on the earth now? Right. Maybe right. exactly. it's just lonely. Who knows? Exactly. Exactly. I just think it's all so cool and so beautiful. All right. So I'm supposed to do the Judaic and yes. Abrahamic yes. uh, creation myths. So there are actually two of them in the Bible. Mm-hmm. One is in Genesis chapter 1. One is in Genesis chapter 2. Mm-hmm. And most people conflate those. Yeah. Right. Yeah. They in kind the of put them together. They smoosh them together. But, but they really are two separate stories and they're told almost inverse of themselves. Okay. So in the first one in Genesis 1, God creates, or not Yahweh, but Elohim. Elohim. Elohim, Elohim creates uh, the earth, the sky, the water, the standard, the, the standard stuff, right. the animals, the stuff all that kind of stuff. And God then, created. And then man is last. Right. Created out of clay, man and woman. Okay. Okay. And that's the standard story that most of us hear in Sunday school mm-hmm. and in the Christian churches. That story, except that. And there's a seven days thing. Except yeah. that. Yeah. On the seventh day, the he, seventh rested. day yeah. he rested. Yeah. Um, except that we take the Adam of the second story and put him into the first story and the Eve of the second story and put her into the first story, even though originally and, it was Adam and Lilith, and, and they were both Hebrew. created out of the same clay. Right, right. That's that's my understanding. So there's no is, like taking a rib bullshit. Yeah, that's all right. The second, myth. and my understanding, no, right? Yeah, the, the, the second the, story. Yes, second story. Yep. My understanding is so I'm not Jewish, obviously, but my understanding from the Jewish people I've spoken to is that who are interested in this kind of stuff, which not everybody is. But my understanding is that, like, Lilith 
and Adam were on equal footing because they were created out of the, the same, same yeah, material. Exactly, yeah. I think that's fascinating. And when that went, quote unquote, wrong, <laughs> <laughs> right. um, because they were on equal footing, Eve was created out of Adam to make her subservient to him right. in a way that Lilith hadn't been. Also in the first telling... God names all the animals. Mm-hmm. God names all the... So he oh, does all so the he naming. does all the administrative work. Right, <laughs> yeah. So my thought is, and I'm not a biblical scholar, although I read Greek and Hebrew. Um, you could be. I could be. <laughs> if you took, if if you took, I the, took time. the time. Right. And cared. Uh, right, <laughs> and cared. That there are actually two atoms. Oh. Okay. So you think the first couple was fucked up. Right, yeah. And like, Adam and Lilith. And maybe right. even the whole first war. Do you think God just... Started Mixed over. that whole world and started yeah, over. Yeah, started fresh. over. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Okay. Like now, there's just literally like a wipe out, start over. Now, where like, do you get the idea for that? Is that from like Hebrew tradition, or is that no just Hebrew your tradition? Own, that's 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 just, just car. Your own that's just car's that's interpretation. That's just car's interpretation. interpretation. Is that God <laughs> went? All right, this is fucked up. I'm starting over. What's the Lilith comment? Rona says <laughs> Lilith, Lilith was, was the, the first, first uppity woman. The rest of us uppity women owe her a debt. That is the truth. <laughs> yep. And, that is the truth. And Lilith actually uh, is not listed just in Jewish mythology, although she's not listed in Abrahamic mm-hmm. Right, yeah, uh, she doesn't mythology, show up. Right. Uh, but also in the Babylonian Talmud. Also in, basically, they compare a lot of that to the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, that makes sense. Yep, so yep. going back even a little bit further. Yeah. And all of the, that first creation story is very Babylonian. Right. Okay. And it's... How and it's, it's construction. Done. And it's construction, well, right. So they basically, the thought process is they took this earlier thing that they knew about, the right, Babylonian, right. and they just went, oh, well, we can conflate that and make this a single god thing. Ah. Okay. Because at the time that these were written down, the first uh, creation myth of mm-hmm. Genesis, Genesis, they were captive in Babylon at yes, that time, yep, right? They yep. were living gotcha. in Babylon. Yep. Okay, because so they were transmuting, essentially, right, the, right. the local exactly. mythology. Because yep. unlike what most, uh, you know, Judeo-Christian teaching is, or at least Christian teaching, mm-hmm. is that, so Moses wrote down all of the books of the Bible. The first five, yes, the, first, the Talmud, yes. Right, that's yeah. what I'm trying to say. He yep. wrote the Talmud, but it actually was all recorded, everything was written during the time of Babylon, which was hundreds of years after yeah, yeah, Moses. Yeah, exactly, yeah. So the, their creation myths, which were conflated with Babylonian right. uh, yep. creation myths, were really, the they were just probably taking what was told right. of their own people and then just... Sort of, well, in a very similar... Learning. In, in a very similar way, I imagine, mm-hmm. to what we have of the Norse cosmology, yeah. where... It wasn't written down at, you know, the dawn of Norse history. Right. It was written down by Snorri Sturluson right. years later. And he, he was a Christian monk who was right. just recording poetry. Right, right. Right. So I think that's, I, you're right, that's probably a similar thing. The, the Hebrews probably had an mm-hmm. oral tradition to a certain extent. Yep. And then... In as, the, in as much as, you know, and I imagine that... I mean, they did have writing, obviously. Right, yes. Could, yeah. But... Oral traditions were not passed down equally. Mm-hmm. That's true. You know, right. like, not everybody cared about every story. Right. So, you yeah. know, the... And there will be regional differences and mm-hmm. stuff like that. So it just doesn't get codified until it's written down. Right, mm-hmm. yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the, the thought process is that because Lilith wouldn't be subservient to Adam... Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the second story came along. Well, that she was basically cast out... Right. Uh-huh. Um, ...of the garden. Right. Mm-hmm. Eden. Of Eden, yep. 
Um, and in later Jewish writings, mm-hmm. after this, mm-hmm. Lilith is referred to as a demon. Yes, right. yes. Who eats babies, who eats if babies. I remember yeah. correctly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and that's from the 6th century CE onwards. Yes, right. So, so that's even later. That's yeah, even later. Even later yeah. tradition, years and years and years, thousands of years later, mm-hmm. basically. Right. Yep. Now, here's the fun part, right? In the second myth, Adam and Eve are created first. Before the rest of the world? Before the rest of the world. You know, I never really noticed that. Yeah. Isn't that funny? Because they really don't teach that. Yeah. When you're, you know, in Sunday school or whatever. Yeah. You're you're really taught a a combined version of the two myths. Yeah. In Christianity, you really are combined. Yeah. They combine the creation of reality with the creation of Adam and Eve. And what they say is one was chronological Mm -hmm. and one was theological. Oh, so and that's so that's how, how they can like put them together so, okay. and say, "Well, it's one creation story." <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's it's complete BS. But I mean, that's what they're going with. Okay, what's uh, the theological difference? Cre- um, so I this does make me wonder if like Elohim created a world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Created some people on it, wasn't pleased with the outcome, mm-hmm. evaporated that world. Well, created a new one, and then before he repopulated it with plants and animals and shit, he was like, I'm going to do the humans first and right. see if this works right. out, because I might have to start a third one. So here's the fun thing, too. Uh, in the first creation myth in Genesis 1, right. he's Elohim. Right. right. In the second creation he's myth Yahweh? in Genesis 2, he's Yahweh. Yeah, interesting. Oh. Yeah, That's so different name. Different name, because they Which we conflate into the same God. Right, right. but only because... But because it's a monotheistic right religion right religion so oh interesting uh the other thing i think that's interesting is that um you know obviously because they were both created from clay man and woman they were on equal footing Mm -hmm. where was the damn snake he didn't show up (sighs) yeah that doesn't show that doesn't that doesn't happen at all that doesn't happen so we don't actually find out what exactly lilith and adam did to get no right what to get their world wiped out right (laughs) what happened where you know she was cast out or uh-huh. she they were wiped out or well, it's what? Not, I mean it sounds like they started the world started, started over, over again so. you know? I mean that's my opinion just yeah. from having yeah, like yeah. done Read a the... bunch of in-depth research on yeah, this right, now right. is that Elohim slash Yahweh went fuck it or maybe Elohim, or, or maybe Elohim wiped out the world, and Yahweh, Yahweh stepped said, up and yeah. was like, "I'll do the next one." Mm-hmm. That's right. You take I a mean, break. It's it's hard to say because you, you know, rest on this the seventh day, and I right. will start right. the next world. Because I don't think a lot of people know that Elohim was actually yeah. one of the Canaanite gods yeah. that became the main god of Abraham. Right. And then ultimately the main god of, of we, uh, and then he became Yahweh yeah. through Moses. This is actually super interesting to me because we see s- something similar start to happen in ancient Egypt at one point, where uh, the sun god uh, is this particular pharaoh's favorite god, mm-hmm. and he mm-hmm. gives this god a new name right. and starts essentially worshiping only this god. Mm-hmm. But the rest of Egypt doesn't go for it in this instance, right? Right, right. And it all gets rolled back the next pharaoh. Right. So it's like something very similar seems to have happened, but more successfully with Christianity's God. Mm -hmm. That's right. That's fair. And personally, I think it's, it's incredibly interesting when I'm looking at it from this point of view to see that there are two separate stories. Yeah. And both of them are of Jewish origin. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're both Hebrew stories of creation. Yeah. So that's so interesting. Yeah. 
Yeah. So anyway, it's just a, it, it's it's funny how sort of in Christianity we've conflated the two into one story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When really there's stories that are sort of layered on top of each right. other. And, right. And the second creation story, actually, God didn't rest until the eighth day because he worked for seven. Right. So there is no Sabbath in the second no story. Right. Really, because we have a seven-day week. Uh-huh. And the Currently. Th- right. <laughs> Who knows what we had back then. Yeah, yeah. Or if we even had if weeks. If we had weeks. Right. And their belief system basically went from an egalitarian belief system right. to a patriarchal right. belief yeah. system. Because at, uh, in the space and, between Genesis 1 and, and the, 2. Exactly. Yeah. In the space between those two creation stories, they went from being on equal footing to Eve being subservient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They went from... Egalitarian to patriarchal. patriarchal. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? That and and we went from God naming everything to, to now Adam. Adam, go ahead and name all right. this stuff. Yeah. Interesting. You know, so it's just interesting to see the complete divergence between the two stories. Yeah. Because in the second one, or in the first one, there's no way Adam could have named him because he didn't come until last. Right, exactly. Right. He would have right. had to go around the world exactly. naming everything. Yep. That's right. Yeah, you know, I remember as a kid thinking, How's he do that? that? How does he <laughs> do that? That's gotta be a really hard a thing work. to do. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But it works in the second story because Adam already exists and God can just present to him, here's this new animal, what's it called? Right, exactly. And this plant, give this rock a name. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That's right. Oh my gosh. So anyway, that's the two stories. Yeah. That's the two stories. From Genesis. In the same book. In the same book, side by side. Side by side, yeah. That's very interesting. That is very cool. Y'all go go pick up one of those Gideon Bibles and read it for yourselves. Right. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Available at every hotel room. That's right. So, since we've all done our... Yeah, we should do segments, probably. <sighs> you all ready for this? Odds! Stone! Quarter! <laughs> you shouldn't right have that. asked it that way if you didn't want us to start <laughs> doing it. I totally knew you were going to, so... <laughs> Okay, so this week I'm going to be doing Chrysocolla, and you'll find out why eventually. (laughs) Chrysocolla means, uh, from the Greek, it means gold glue, uh, which is a reference to a soldering material that was used in antiquity. It's not clear if this was actually Chrysocolla, what we have now, or if it was maybe some other copper-derived ore. But uh, there was a, a material used in antiquity to solder gold called chrysocolla, and now we have the stone chrysocolla, which is a hydrated copper silicate, which means it's got a very variable composition. It's what we considered amorphous, which means it doesn't have an identifiable regular crystalline structure. And in fact, chrysocolla does not form in identifiable crystals. It only forms in like massive and borosilicate forms and stuff like that. It sometimes forms with quartz. Uh, so it will grow with quartz crystals, partially embedded in quartz crystals, or with like a clear quartz druzy over it or in it. It's a bright green or blue color, and that color comes from the copper content in the stone. It is a very, very soft stone. It's a Mohs 2, uh, which is extremely soft and difficult to work with, but sometimes you'll find what's called agatized chrysocolla, which has chalcedony in, in its composition, and that can get it up to like a Mohs 7, so that's usually what you'll see in jewelry, chrysocolla jewelry, 
is usually agatized chrysocolla that has chalcedony in its composition mm, okay. to strengthen it because otherwise it's so extremely soft that it's all, like it's you it'll really just couldn't drill it yeah it right. just like reduce to a powder very yeah. quickly it's very brittle um, it's typically opaque but it may be translucent if it's cut in the right way oh okay chrysocolla is water associated because it's very, very blue. It's actually one of the brightest blue-green stones that you can find. It is copper-derived, so it's conductive. So chrysocolla, because it's water-associated, is very emotional. Because it's copper-associated, is conductive and is good for transferring and moving energy. Mm -hmm. So I like chrysocolla for sort of overcoming emotional barriers, for dredging up the stuff that you've been sort of suppressing and not dealing with, for bringing that stuff to the surface, mm -hmm. um, sort of sifting it to the top layer of your emotional state so that you can deal with it. Mm -hmm. I would use Chrysocolla for shadow work. If you have something that you know you need to deal with, but you can't identify what it is exactly, Chrysocolla will help you sort of energize your, your emotions. It's not like obsidian, like it's not going to eat negative energy. Right. It's not even really going to help you deal with or process your emotions. It's just going to help you like access your emotions. Gotcha. So if you're feeling sort of numb mm. or... Um, if you've got like your, if you know your emotional walls are very high and mm -hmm. you need to break those down somehow, Chrysocolla will be good for that. Okay, I can see myself needing to get some of that. Yeah, it's very, very useful. It is going to maybe make you a little bit... It's easy to sort of overwhelm yourself, I guess, with Chrysocolla. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. Because it doesn't have sort of limits built in. It's water associated. So it can be very calm or it can be very aggressive. And it sort of depends on the specimen you get. So you really should be careful when you're choosing it. Yeah, be careful when you're choosing it to get a Chrysocolla that's, that's going to work well with your energy. Because, like I said, um, partly because it's water associated and partly just because it's an amorphous stone. So it doesn't have like a regular chemical composition. Mm -hmm. You There's a, a higher degree of variability in this stone. So individual specimens, some specimens might be calmer and more contained. Other specimens might be more vibrant and more energized or more active. Mm -hmm. And you're going to need to find a, a piece that will specifically jive well with sort of where you are emotionally. Mm -hmm. But also bear in mind that like a Chrysocolla that's very, very calm uh, and relaxed, if you have high emotional walls, isn't going to be as good for you right. as a highly active Chrysocolla is, which will be, have an easier time breaking down those emotional barriers. Mm -hmm. So I might even suggest getting two specimens of Chrysocolla. Get Depending a, get a calmer need. Chrysocolla and a more active Chrysocolla so that you can sort of share them off. Right. So that when you know your emotional walls are high, but there's something you need to deal with and get access to, bring the more active one. When you need just something to sort of help you level out and access your emotions, but not in as intense a way. Something use a more gentle. Exactly. Use a more uh, a calmer, more gentle Chrysocolla. Mm -hmm. I find that this tends to correspond to sort of the color intensity of the stone. So like highly vibrant and, and color intense chrysocollas that are like a bright, bright blue are more active and chrysocollas that are more on the greenish spectrum are more calm, but that's not going to be a hard and fast rule. Right. So interact with individual specimens of chrysocolla and determine that. Would you would you th uh, think that like you should also have obsidian or a mahogany obsidian yes. with you at the same time? I would actually strongly recommend a mahogany obsidian instead of a straight obsidian because right. mahogany obsidian has that grounding quality, yep, yep. Um, which chrysocolla doesn't have so much. Right. Chrysocolla is not what I would call a grounding stone, but mahogany obsidian is, and it will help eat some of that negativity. Right. So yes, I would strongly suggest if you're going to bring a chrysocolla to your shadow work, also bring something like a mahogany obsidian. The the other thing is that Chrysocolla is very creative, so it's a good creative partner, 
but you're still going to have to deal with that high emotionality. Right. So if you like, if you need to do something that's very precise or analytical, crisis call is not going to be for you. This is going to get your emotions very high. And while that can be useful, it can also be risky. Right. Okay. Very good. So that's it for Out Stone Corner! Nice. Pull out a stopwatch. <laughs> that was like that was like super loud. That was dude. like five seconds. <laughs> and I didn't even take a full breath. I was gonna say you're getting, but I saw you like prepare yourself a little. Right. Bit. Yeah. But so one of these days, me, like, uh-huh. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna do Get it. prepared. One of these days, you're gonna have to do like the diaphragmal breathing and do like the whole posture thing they teach you in choir. Yeah. To yeah. like yeah. fully expand your lungs before you do it. I could just stand. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> It's time for Gwen's Garden Gems. Oh, we're doing that. That was lovely. Okay. I was thinking we were going to go to the next myth. No. Nope. Okay. Well, uh, what I'm going to do today is talk about dandelions because... They're everywhere! We have dandelions (laughs) everywhere in our yard right now. And dandelions are wonderful because there's a lot you can do with them, both magically and medicinally. And for food, mm-hmm. there are there are prolific and common weeds that most people do not appreciate. Yes. <laughs> the poor, under underappreciated, humble dandelion. Exactly, the humble dandelion, which is a common weed all over the world with various varieties native to Asia, Europe, and North America. Uh, the leaves are long and deeply serrated, forming a basal rosette. That emerges directly from the earth has a, a central tap root, basically, mm. which is why they keep coming back that every makes year. Sense, yeah. Flowers, obviously, they are hollow. They have a milky white sap, and they are bright, bright yellow. And of course, as they make, they, a, poof. They make a poof, which was once the uh, you know once they've gotten to the seed stage mm-hmm. where they're a nice little puff ball. The wind blows them and they... Or small children do. Or small children. And that's what propagates uh, dandelions and allows them to continue to grow. And that's they. Uh, their seeds are parachutes. So they parachute all mm. around and then land and create more dandelions. Even though, obviously, it is considered a weed by most and it is considered a pest to, <laughs> to people. So they, you know, there's all kinds of weed killers out there that are specific for dandelions. For dandelions. What you really should do is take advantage of the fact that you have dandelions because you can do so much with them. The name dandelion is actually comes from the French, and it means tooth of the lion. Hmm. The modern French name. Uh, <laughs> so it's actually dandelion. That, that's the <laughs> that's the original French dandelion, but mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. the modern French. However, is pissenlit, uh, which means to wet the bed. Uh, <laughs> so, in fact, plant. the English folk name for dandelions uh-huh. is pissabeds, which I think is hilarious. Obviously, they do grow everywhere, so you actually don't need to propagate them. You don't need to create, try to create a bed yeah, of dandelions. If you want to use dandelions in magic or as food or, or for medicine, you just simply harvest them from your yard. But before. make sure there's no pesticides. That's, well, yeah. that's what I was going to say. Make sure you do this before you put any kind of weed killer or, or any kind of treatment on your lawn. Take advantage of the of the dandelion crop as it comes up in early spring so that you can then have these to dry and keep in your apothecary. 
because uh, you can use the roots, you can use the leaves, you can use the flowers, and you can use the seeds. They're one of the few plants that every single part is edible. What about the stem? Yeah, everything. Oh, cool. Everything. Every part of the plant. They say now they it's can, like the opposite of a baneful. That's right. It is, and they do say that um, because beneficent, right? And of course, obviously, they do like full sun, which is why on really sunny days you'll see them open right up, like today, like yeah. today. Yeah, and you'll see them grow and grow more and more as you know spread. And then they'll spread throughout the spring right. and summer. The leaves should be gathered as soon as they appear in the spring because they get bitter the longer mm. they grow. Okay, so you want young dandelion. Yes, if you want to make dandelion tea or dandelion wine or, or use or or use dandelions in uh, the leaves in uh, salads so or anything right. like that, you do want to harvest them early before they start to grow bitter. Um, the bright yellow flowers should be gathered as soon as they open. Mm. So as soon as you see them open, go out there. Obviously, as a witch, I ask permission right. to harvest, and then I I harvest those dandelions. You want to remove the green bits from the base of the flower before using, and these can be added to wines, vinegars, and jellies. The roots should be dug up in the autumn when they're plump and stored with starches for the winter, or you can get them first thing in the spring because they'll be sweeter. Again, the longer they stay, the more bitter, the more they, bitter get. they get. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, any time between the 1st of September and the end of February is good for harvesting dandelions. They can be cut into pieces three to four inches long and dried on a screen in an area that has good ventilation. And once they're dried, they should be kept in a cool, dry area in a bug-proof container, obviously. So in some kind of a mason jar is usually your best option. Now, as far as magical attributes for dandelion, they are considered a masculine flower and are associated with the planet Jupiter, as well as the element of air, and are associated with both Pisces and Sagittarius. And it's also associated with Hecate, Brigid, and Bellinos. Again, you can make the tea, a tea from the flowers and the leaves, which, which can, you can drink to help increase psychic ability. And what you would do basically is pour boiling water over a bowl full of the leaves and the, and the flowers mm-hmm. to create the tea. But you can also pour boiling water over a bowl full of the roots to aid in calling spirits. Doesn't dandelion tea also have a medical use? Yes, it does. Dandelion is actually can be used as a diuretic and a cleansing tonic. It's very good for the digestion and fat and liver issues. In fact, uh, traditional medicinals has a dandelion root tea tea because it is good for liver function and things like that. Um, You can also make a tincture from the flower tops. And a broth from the leaves said to bring relief if you're having difficulty with anything having to do with your kidneys or mm. your liver. Apparently, it can also help with kidney stones by making a decoction of the root and uh, sweeten it with honey because, again, it'll probably right. be bitter. <laughs> and it's just it's good for overall digestion and stomach complaints. <laughs> and then dandelion flowers can be used in salads. You can use them to make jelly and wine and punch. The greens are bitter, so you have to watch that. The young leaves can be used raw or blanched in salads and, and sandwiches. The stems can be used like spinach or cooked into soups or broths. The dry roots can be ground up and used like coffee. Fresh roots can be used in salads. 
You can also make dandelion beer from the fermented dried leaves and dandelion wine from the flowers and homemade root beer, in which you can use from the dandelion roots. I want dandelion wine because I read Redwall as a kid. <laughs> and they always lavishly described the feasts that the mices would have, and the it mices. always included dandelion wine. You need to That's talk right. to Arclight and see if they'll make a sour. Oh my god, a I should. dandelion sour beer, yeah. So this is why, instead of, when you start seeing those little golden caps all over mm-hmm. your lawn, instead of saying, oh god, it's dandelions, say, oh, Excellent, I can make all my soups and salads. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Earth Mother, it's dandelions. And go out there and get you some and try some of these things. Because, again, it is edible from seed to root to flower to leaf to stem. It's one of the most versatile weeds we have available. So that's it for Gwen's Garden Gems. Mermidiff said that the flowers eat up all the sugar inside of the plant to make energy. And that's why it gets bitter. That makes sense. Yep. That's yep. very logical. That Thank you for that logical. for that that fact, yes. Mermidith. And Squeaky says, Beans. I love me love some it. science. Yep. So, the next uh, creation myth I'm going to do, I am not as familiar with as the Norse myth. So, this is Japanese cosmology. Oh, very cool. And it's intriguing. Uh, again, as with the mystery of where Odomble come from, where Odomble go, there are some <laughs> features of this myth that I don't understand where these people came from or what happens to them afterwards. Sometimes they just never show up again. So it goes. So, in the beginning, as it were, in Japan, <laughs> um, there was not a void. Everything existed in an egg. Oh. All the matter that would eventually make up stuff, the universe in general, was scrunched together and all mixed up in a cosmic egg of of unknown boundaries and origin. It doesn't seem as though there was even a void outside of the egg. There was just the egg. And then, over time, for no apparent reason, (laughs) the mixed elements inside the egg started to separate. And the heavy elements sank and became the earth, and those were the yin elements. Mm. And the light elements rose and became the heavens, and those were the yang elements. Uh-huh. Between those two, there was a muddy ocean that covered the earth elements and sort of bridged the gap to the heaven elements. From this muddy sea, there grew a green reed-like object. It is always described as not as a reed, but as a reed-like object object Hmm. that grew from the sea into the heavens. And when it reached the heavens, from it grew the first god, Kunino Tokotachi. We refer to him with male pronouns usually, but didn't have a definite gender, didn't have a definite reason for existing. Just was. (laughs) Just was. Mm -hmm. And was alone. As gods are wont to do. Right. Was alone. There's actually some debate about which was the first of the gods to appear mm-hmm. in the heavens, but Konino Tokotachi is the one that uh, I'm familiar with. Mm-hmm. So, just became and was lonely, so created other gods. So, first he created two other single gods who were like him, who had no definite gender and no definite reason for being, and they appear to have immediately gone into hiding. Well, so much for having company. <laughs> right. <laughs> Exactly. It didn't exactly work out. <laughs> so, Konino Tokotachi created paired gods, brothers and sisters, who were 
marry, as is often the case with gods. Mm -hmm. So he created these pairs of gods. And he created five pairs of gods. And the first four pairs of gods also appear to have gone into hiding. (laughs) What is his problem or their problem that the god that the gods they create? Even if it wasn't his keep... problem, he probably thinks it is now. Exactly. Right? All right. I what mean, am I way, doing wrong here? Way to get a complex. Yes, they all appear or to do, have gone into hiding or or dudette because we don't know. Yes, poor individual. Poor individual. Poor Konino Tokotachi. Poor they. Poor they. Poor them. <laughs> so the fifth pair of gods that Konino Tokotachi created was Izanagi and Izanami. Fifth time's the charm? Fifth time's the charm. Izanagi means he who invites, and Izanami means she who invites. And they did not immediately go into hiding. Well, that was So presumably... They waited six months. No. (laughs) Presumably, Kunino Tokotachi was like, finally, got him, convinced them to stick around, but there was nothing for them to do in the heavens. So he gave them a task. He told them, between the heavens and the earth, there is the sea. Go stir up the sea and see what's inside it. So, Izanagi and Izanami leaned down from the heavens, and Konino Tokotachi gave Izanagi a spear to stir the sea with. Izanagi stirred the sea, and he lifted out the spear, and from the tip of the spear fell some substance. Exactly what that substance was isn't clear, but it fell into the sea and it created an island. So Izanagi and Izanami, having found something went down to see what they had discovered. Right. They landed on the island, Mm -hmm. and there wasn't a whole lot to do, so they decided they would create something. So the first thing they did... Sensible. ...was they created a pillar that reached up to the heavens so that they could have an easy way back up. Mm -hmm. And then they decided that that was still pretty boring, so they went around and created... (laughs) They went around and created some plants and some animals... And they weren't completely satisfied with this either. They were starting to get lonely. Okay. Down here on the sea. The island. The island that they had created. So they decided that they, because they were already married, uh, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, in spirit, would have a marriage ceremony. And then they would mate and create children. Continue. To continue with them. To to continue to propagate the world, right? Mm -hmm. Or at least the island. Right. So Izanagi and Izanami decide that because they have this pillar here that they've created, how they'll do it is that they'll walk around the pillar in opposite directions, and when they meet again, they will uh, they will marry each other, and that'll be their their marriage ritual. Because, you know, they're deciding what rituals are as they go. That's they right, can right. make it up. So they walk around, and Izanami says to Izanagi, Oh, what a beautiful man I have met. Let's get married. And Izanagi says, well, I wanted to say that you were a beautiful lady, but you beat me to the punch, so let's just get married. (laughs) (laughs) So they do. And they have two children. But the children are strange and deformed. And not gods. And they decide, this isn't acceptable, this hasn't worked right. So they put these children, these deformed children who have, like, no skeletons and no limbs and things, they put these children in reed boats and set them out into the sea to just go be somewhere else. Poor, poor children with no skeletals. Uh-huh. They ask Kunino Tokotachi, what went wrong? Why can't we make gods? You made gods. <laughs> and Kunino Tokotachi says, I'll tell you what went wrong. Izanagi should have spoken first. Uh-huh. It's always gotta be a man. Uh-huh. Kunino Takotachi says Izanagi should have spoken first So as a consequence your marriage ritual Was inverted and wrong So you have to do it again (laughs) 
And Izanagi and Izanami were like, well, we thought we made up the marriage ritual, but I guess you're the boss, so we'll try again. Typical. So they they go back around uh, in opposite directions, and this time Izanagi says, what a beautiful lady I've met, let's get married and do it right this time. And Izanami says, excellent. So they get married. And again. They, and again. And they have children. And these children are gods. They're the gods of various things. And as their children are born things start to exist. So first, they give birth to seven other islands. And those become the islands of Japan. And then they give birth to the gods of plants and fish and birds and, you know, stuff. And right. as they give, as Izanami gives birth to these things and the gods exist, the things that they refer to start to exist. And mm-hmm. so the world gradually builds as Izanagi and Izanami have more and more children. Mm-hmm. And then Izanami gives birth to the incarnation of fire, and it kills her. Oh. And then Izanagi kills the incarnation of fire in revenge. Oh, this is a sad story. There is a whole thing where Izanami is dead, so she goes to the underworld. Right. And Izan- which hadn't existed which before. hadn't existed but, before, you know, but now she's dead. So. Is that where all the other gods are hiding now? <laughs> Who knows? It's never clear where all the other hiding <laughs> gods go. Beyond Kunino Tokotachi's sight, apparently. They're just gone. <laughs> um... So, uh, Izanagi goes, obviously, to the underworld Mm -hmm. to pursue his wife. Like you do. Like you do. Uh, And when he gets there, she tells him, first of all, not to look at her. And he says, okay, fine. You're the boss. You're my wife. I do what you want. (laughs) (laughs) And then she tells him she can't come back with him. She's eaten the food of the underworld. She has to stay here now. That sounds very Greek. It does. Interesting. So she tells him she's eaten food that was cooked on the furnace of the underworld. She can't leave. And he says, well, that's very disappointing for me. Obviously, I'd prefer if you would leave with me and come back to the earth. And she says, okay, well, if you don't ever look at me again, I will follow you back to the earth. This is like... Yes. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and Izanagi says, I can do that. But it turns out he can't do that. Because Orpheus couldn't do it either. <laughs> <laughs> because he turns around and she is a rotting corpse. Oh. Full of maggots and Ooh, death. Gross. Yes. That's a little different from uh, yes. Orpheus and she's a, see, she's but, a rotting you know. corpse full of maggots and death, and uh, he's horrified. Yeah, I would be And too. she's furious that she has been seen in this condition. Fair. So Nobody she, likes to see, be seen without their makeup, I'm just saying. So <laughs> she attacks Izanagi and oh. chases him out of the underworld. Oh, damn. Spawning monsters as she goes yeah, to I'm attack sure. him. Mm-hmm. Gets to the gate of the underworld real quick rolls a boulder in front of it and just stands there like, Izanami, you've got to stop! (laughs) And Izanami's furious and she's ranting and raving and clawing at the stone and, you know, still trying to kill Izanagi. And she screams that if she can't kill Izanagi, she will kill a thousand creatures every day in punishment. Damn, she is a vicious bitch. Izanagi, on the other side of the boulder, is like, well, fine. I'll give birth to 1,500 creatures every day. Is uh, he planning to do that? I don't know. He, this is his plan, is that he's going to continue to somehow create, create. With, his, with his other children. He's well, going to continue to procreate uh, more people to the incest. more people than she can. Well, they're already brother and sister. Oh, fair. So he's going to, to bring life to more people than she can kill every day. Okay, fair. Uh, in the hopes of continuing the project they started together in which she is now hell-bent on destroying. Right. Somebody needs to shoot this woman some tea and tell her to chill. <laughs> At that point, having made their positions on the subject of the Earth very clear, 
Izanagi divorces Izanami from the other side of the rock. I yeah. so that's pretty good. Uh, yeah. That's a good idea. And they are no longer married. And that's the creation of the world in Japan. Wow, that is tough, man. I wonder if she's uh, so. Is she basically? Well, or is it China that has the hungry ghosts? Uh, it's China, I think. That's China, okay. Goes, yeah. So I'm sure Japan has their own versions of demons Probably, and yeah. scary, scary Yokai. things. Yeah. So Yokai. I wonder if it, it comes from this really pissed off lady god. She was, she was very unhappy. <laughs> oh my god. She was the most unhappy the maybe most. Any, any wife has ever been. That was like the extreme <laughs> of unhappy. Uh-huh. Holy shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's was, a great story, she was though. Furious. Yeah. That's very interesting. Yeah, I like that one. I like it, too. I, I really uh, although like we, to know what happened to those other gods. Yeah, well, and Kunino Tokotachi never does anything ever again. After <laughs> sending Izanagi and Izanami down and then telling them they did their marriage wrong, we never hear from him again. Never hear from him again. Uh, and, or them. <laughs> and the, uh, and the, the gods that were created before Izanagi and Izanami vanish. Very interesting. Yeah, uh, and it's never clear what happens to them. And in fact, Kunino Tokotachi doesn't seem to know what happens to them. I love to. I love the name. By the way, I could not say Kunino Tokotachi. Yeah, yeah, that's a great name. It's a. It's a mouthful. Not even going to try to say it. You well, and that's have any problem with it. You have all these Norse things. Yeah, <laughs> that's even... true. I noticed Squeaky is saying that the Japanese are all about the scary. It's true. Demons, yes, lots so. of <laughs> lots of yokai, lots of scary creatures. Well, yeah. I, I think this must be inspired by this. The really, really. Really angry god. Izanami. Yep. Goddess of creation Goddess. and death. <laughs> yes, clearly. Holy cow. Mostly death now. I'm going to do one of the Greek creation Creations. myths. Yep. So in the beginning, there was only chaos, the gaping emptiness. And then either all by themselves or out of the formless void sprang forth three more primordial deities. Gaia, Earth, Tartarus, the underworld, and Eros, Love. Once love was there, Gaia and Chaos, who are two female deities, they were able to procreate and shape everything known and unknown in the universe. So they got jiggy with it and had some babies. Gotcha. <laughs> now, Chaos gave birth to darkness, Erebus, mm-hmm. who is darkness, and Nyx, night. Erebus slept with his sister Nyx. Like you do. Like you do. And out of their union came Aether, or the bright upper air. And Hemera, the day emerged. Afterward, feared by everyone but her brother, Night, or Nyx, fashioned a family of haunting forces all by herself. Among others, her children included Moros, who became Fate, Care, or Car, I'm not sure, who became Doom, Thanatos, death, Hypnos, sleep, Honoroyal, dreams, Geras, old age, Oasis, pain, Nemesis, revenge, Eris, strife, Apate, deceit, Philetus, sexual pleasure, Momos, blame, and the Hesperides, the daughters of the evening. Meanwhile, Gaia gave birth to Uranus, the starry sky. Uranus became Gaia's husband, surrounding her from all sides. And together, they produced three sets of children, the three one-eyed Cyclopses, the three hundred-handed Hecaton Carries, Hecaton Shares, Hecaton Shares, and the Titans. 
However, Uranus was cruel and even worse as a father. Mm-hmm. He hated his children and didn't want to allow them to see the light or the day, so he imprisoned them in the hidden places of the earth, which is Gaia's womb. This pissed Gaia off, and so she plotted with her sons against Uranus. She made a harpy, a great adamant sickle, and tried to incite her children to attack their father, but they were all afraid, except for the youngest, Kronos. Gaia and Kronos set up an ambush for Uranus. As he was preparing to lay with Gaia, Kronos castrated him with the sickle, throwing his severed genitals into the ocean. Now, nobody really brutal. knows. Yeah, nobody really knows what happened to Uranus afterward. He either died, withdrew from the earth, or exiled himself to Italy, like you do. Right, to Italy. You go to Italy. But from the blood that was spilled on the earth because of his castration emerged the giants, the ash tree nymphs, and the furies. And from the sea foam that was produced when his genitals fell into the ocean, although I think they were thrown into the ocean, (laughs) arose Aphrodite, the goddess of beauty. And so Kronos became the next ruler. He imprisoned the Cyclopses, Hecatonchers, thank you, and in Tartarus, and set the dragonous Campy to guard them. He married his sister, Rhea, who is a titan, and she bore him five children. However, Gaia and Uranus had both prophesied that Kronos would eventually be overthrown by one of his sons. So much like his father, Kronos maltreated his children, devouring each of them at the time of their birth. Rhea was distressed by Kronos' treatment of her children, and just like Gaia before him, plotted against her husband. Talking about a self-fulfilling prophecy. Right? Yeah. On the advice of her mother, when it was time to give birth to her sixth child, Rhea hid herself on Crete, leaving the newborn, the newborn child to be raised by the nymphs on the island. And to conceal her act, she wrapped a stone in swaddling clothes and passed it off as the supposed baby to Kronos, who, unaware of her intentions, swallowed it yet again. The child who was saved was Zeus. Obvious. <laughs> and so from there, Zeus kills Kronos, and then we have all of the other Greek the new pantheon, gods, the new pantheon <laughs> of gods that came from there. But that is the basic uh, origin of the cosmology of cosmology of Greece. I just gotta tell you, as far as the discord is concerned, the foaming genitals are the best part of it. <laughs> Yep, and I'm sorry for torturing all those names. I'm not nearly as good at pronouncing the names as Ode is. <laughs> oh, I don't I don't pretend that I know for sure. I just gave it a best guess. <laughs> but anyway, I thought that it's so interesting because talk about violence, you mm-hmm. know. I mean, between Japan and Greece, man. And isn't it interesting that Japan and Greece have some similarities in that their story, the Greece The story is, of Orpheus and, and the story of Persephone. Uh-huh. Both have, yeah, Elements. correlations to the story of Izanami. Yeah, exactly. So the question is, which came first? Would yeah. it be the Greek stories or the Japanese stories? Well, they, they developed in such in, different, isolated circumstances. So yeah. It's interesting that there are corollaries between yeah. those two those two myths. Or... Yeah, and Japan didn't have a lot. Like, Japan had cross-contamination with China, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, but not really with anywhere else. Right. Because right. I, I, I know China had quite a quite a trade around the world, didn't they? I don't think it by this time they by did. By this time with yeah. the Greeks? No, and... I don't think so. So, yeah, so it's interesting to to, mm-hmm. to try to figure out how these stories were so similar and who... 
I mean, it's, who I guess it's who, you know? uh, if anyone. I mean, I guess it's possible that they developed independently. That's true. Right. That these yeah, concepts true. developed independently. Yeah. That's true. Yeah, but this idea of a uh, of you know the wife dying and going down into mm-hmm. the underworld, the husband going after and and, then and being seeing told, her and seeing her and and you know because they're told you cannot look back until mm-hmm. you get to the well and outside and back to Earth. And, Izanami's the reason Izanami can't leave the underworld mm-hmm. properly is that she ate food there. Like Persephone right. yeah. did, which yeah. is why she yep. can no longer leave the underworld except for half of the year. Yeah, and that's an arrangement that Zeus that makes. Zeus right. makes, exactly. So, so that Demeter will stop destroying the Earth. Right? So it's just, it's very interesting to me, these corollaries between what seems to be two very disparate and societies isolated. and isolated yeah. societies at the time. Yeah. Yeah. So my next one is supposed to be the Celtic uh, right. creation myth. Car has mm-hmm. changed his mind. Um, but... Not necessarily changed my mind. Went deeper. <laughs> okay. So the Celts come from this proto Indo-European language group, right? Yeah. The Picts. or the Pie? No, or, no. The no, proto Indo-European okay. is pre everything. Oh, okay. Yeah. It's pre written culture, right? And so I decided I would, you know, go back a little bit further and kind of look. And five out of the eleven language groups that make up proto Indo-European. Have this same myth, oh, or they they have a myth that shares these elements. They shares these yeah. elements, correct? Okay, yeah, cool, cool. Um, including Sanskrit, Avestan, which is Iranian, mm-hmm. uh, Vedic, Latin, Celtic, Germanic, and Baltic. Mm-hmm. How interesting! Yeah, so um, so they all have the similarities in right, the, in this. and and through stuff like this, we've reconstructed Proto Indo European mythology the Correct. same way we've reconstructed Proto Indo European language by the similarities between their daughter languages. Yeah. So here is what this myth is called: it's the primal cow creation myth. <laughs> Always with the cow. I don't <laughs> So, uh, and, and so this is why I thought this was entertaining: is that. It, it really kind of fits, yeah. you know? There was a cow in the <laughs> mm-hmm. Norse. There was a cow in uh, your, Vedic. your Vedic one. Somewhere. Abstractly. Um, yeah, abstractly. abstractly. Yeah. So in the uh, Pi, so in the Proto-Indo-European, so it's known as the primal cow creation myth or the myth of how the world was made from the body of a giant bovine. Mm. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I think this is... So Car's going to tell this and I'm going to want to talk about Emerson more. <laughs> <laughs> so... The, the cow, the giant bovine, is actually twins. Mm-hmm. So Yama and Mana. Yama means twin, and Manu is his brother. The brother Manu is man. Mm-hmm. Okay, Yama dies. Oh, somehow. Somebody dies. Somebody You're dies. You're right, Susie. <laughs> Does, is it, is it clear how Yama dies? It is not is it clear how causes? Yama dies. Is it murdered by Manu? Nope. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but... Um, Yama dies, and his bones are made into rocks. His blood makes up the rivers and the seas. Mm-hmm. And that's why we think say things like bones of the earth mm-hmm. and that kind of stuff. I just found this very entertaining that it's like in these all all these different ones. Mm-hmm. So the, the, the Sanskrit, which is the Rig Veda, uh, which is Hindu, mm-hmm. is somewhere between 2000 and 1000 BCE is when it was written. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, according the Rig Veda is very old. According to Western scholars, Hindu scholars say much earlier uh-huh. than that. And it says Yama surrendered his dear body. No mention of how. Mm, just 
surrendered it. Surrendered it. Yeah. Yeah, so, become, so maybe willingly died to become. Willingly yep. died. Sacrificed yeah. himself to yeah. become. Exactly. Reality. Yeah. A reality. Yeah, and and it also says Yama died as the first of mortals mm. uh, with uh, Manu's permission. Oh, interesting. interesting. So yeah, so it's very interesting. Uh, I just found that. It kind of tied all of these, or most of these, mm-hmm. except for maybe the egg of Japan. Um, <laughs> well, Japan to, isn't a proto-Indo-European. Right, right. right. Yeah. Kind of, you know, it's kind of together. And, mm-hmm. you know, so they've looked at all of these together and said at least five yep. of the 11 known daughter languages mm-hmm. that make up proto-Indo-European have this kind of have same, this same kind of cosmology. Yeah, of this these, these similar yeah. features. Giant bovine, yeah. yeah. That makes me want to look into Egypt's, because uh, yeah. Egypt has, a, has an interesting cosmology. Interesting cosmology for their creation in the latin they take uh the giant bovine as being remus and romulus Mm. okay so and the The wolf boys right exactly um and twins right so you can see how you know that fits born Um, of the swanning in in celtic it's the white bull of eye written down that's the 11th century ce so significantly later but again Mm -hmm. the celts didn't have fucking oral traditions man That's so, the thing, man. All these oral traditions, and you lose so much. I yeah. mean, I, I can't even begin to imagine how much. But we don't anymore, we and that's why I like doing these storytelling episodes because now we have recording devices, mm-hmm. so we can do we can sort of revitalize oral storytelling. Right. Exactly. Yeah. That's right. Um, in the Baltic languages, so that's Lithuania, mm-hmm. that area. It tells the story of the bull and its three cows that were beheaded uh, by the Morning Star. And then land appears. I just thought that was kind of cool because it ties up all of these. The primal cow, the, cosmic cows. The, yeah, the primal yeah. cosmic cows and together. To, yeah. In in Hinduism, the cow is still considered sacred. I yeah. mean, it yeah. is yeah. it's a vital part of oh, their yeah. of their religious yeah. beliefs. Well, and that's Spond. why I brought up the Brahma. Yeah. The yeah. Brahma, you know. In the Futhark, mm-hmm. in the runes, mm-hmm. Fehu, the first rune, mm-hmm. means cattle. There you go. It's a stand-in for wealth because cattle was the source of wealth, and it was a it was transmutable uh, resources essentially. Yeah. Very cool. Uh, so the, what I wanted to talk about with Ymir is uh, although Adomla shows up in Genungagap, obviously uh, in the void and is a primal cosmic cow of mysterious origins and purpose because it's a magical void, right? <laughs> Ymir, the the mother father of giants seems to serve the actual function that Yama does of mm-hmm. dying and being reconstituted as the earth, earth. essentially. Yeah, yeah, exactly, so yeah. uh, instead of Adomla being the sacrifice, it's Ymir. So I thought that was interesting. An interesting transmutation in the Norse yeah. from the sacrifice being the cow mm-hmm. to the sacrifice being the, the first sort of sentient being. Yeah. Right, yeah. yeah. Interesting. Pretty cool. Yeah. Well, you know what time it is now. Yes. It's time for Cars Feast Table. Cars Feast Table. <laughs> I did a bunch of research on this. And I You read found, some old, old books. Yes, yeah, right. I did. I read, I read a very old book, <laughs> uh, which is known as Banquet of the Learned by Athenius. Mm-hmm. Um, so Greek. And I found out that in the time of creation that's renewed yearly mm-hmm. within the Proto-Indo-European areas, mm-hmm. there are two things that they consider sacred to the meal. And so those two things are... Lamb, mm-hmm. which makes a lot of sense, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so here is the rosemary roasted lamb recipe that I found. And again, we'll post this on... God, I love lamb. Oh, yeah, I know. It's been a while. 
So it's it's basic. It's super simple. You preheat the oven to 425 degrees in a small bowl. You combine oil, garlic, salt, and rosemary. Then you rub it all over the lamb. You refrigerate that overnight, so you may want want to wait on preheating. But yeah. you refrigerate it overnight. <laughs> that would be a long time. To preheat heat the your oven, oven for yeah. twenty four hours. <laughs> so then turn you, it off and stick it. Although in the I air. guess I guess this is from a very old source, and sometimes it did take them a long, long ass time, time right? yep. to true. heat up the furnace. So That's then you true. take the lamb out of the refrigerator, preheat mm-hmm. your oven. <laughs> place Since we're in modern times. Place the lamb fat side up on a rack in a shallow roasting pan, and you bake uncovered for twenty minutes. Mm. What do you preheat it to? And then four twenty-five. Okay. And then you reduce the heat to three fifty. You bake again for one and three quarters to two and a quarter hours, or until the meat reaches uh, the desired doneness. For medium rare, your meat thermometer should be about 135 all the way up to, if you want medium well, it's 145. You should baste it occasionally with your pan juices. Mm -hmm. And then as anything, when you cook with meat, let it stand for 15 minutes before Mm -hmm. you cut it, before you slice it. And that's it. That's that's pretty much it right there for the that's meat. That's the lamb. The, the, for the lamb. And for any of our vegetarian or vegan listeners, just skip over that previous part. <laughs> or erase it vegans, from your mind. Vegans can't eat any of this. Right. And the, the next thing I found that they do is honey cakes. Oh. Yes. So, I that, yeah. Um, here is what is in a rustic honey cake. It's uh, half a cup of butter, softened, a cup of honey, two large eggs, a half a cup of plain yogurt, one teaspoon of vanilla extract, two cups of all-purpose flour, two teaspoons of baking powder, half a teaspoon of salt, assorted fresh fruit, and chopped pistachios. Mm -hmm. Oddly enough, this bread in this book is called Mm -hmm. Chrysocola. Which was why I pivoted to doing Chrysocola today. Uh, originally, I was going to do blue lace agate. You can do that next time. Yeah, I'll do it some other time. But Carr uh, mentioned that these honey cakes were called chrysocolla back in the day. Yeah. For some reason, which, like I said, chrysocolla means gold glue. So I, I, I have honey, to assume it's gold, related to the right, honey. The yeah, honey. Yep. yeah. I might um, have. I'm going to have to make that. That sounds really good. So get so, that recipe up right away. I will. <laughs> uh, you do preheat your oven to 350. You grease a nine inch cast iron skillet. Oh, okay. I got that. Yep. And uh, in a large bowl, you beat the butter and the honey until it's blended. You add the eggs one at a time, beating well after each addition. Beat in the yogurt and the vanilla. And in another bowl, you whisk in the flour, baking powder, and salt. You then add your mixture to that, making a batter. Transfer the batter to the prepared skillet. Bake until a toothpick inserted in the center comes out clean, about 30 or 35 minutes. Nice. Then you cool it completely in the pan on a wire rack. You serve it with fruit or additional honey. Or chopped pistachios on top, or if you would like. Or all three. Or all or three. All of the above. <laughs> uh, because there are people who cannot have cake in their life without any kind of frosting, I would add a cream cheese frosting if you want frosting on it. I prefer cake this, without I, frosting. I, I Listen, I like a cream cheese frosting, but this doesn't seem like the this right kind of cake. This doesn't seem like the right, <laughs> right. for a frosting. Yeah. Or any yeah. kind of a frosting. And this I is also more of a think, glaze. Yeah, I also yeah. think that you could probably, at this point, do a poke. Yeah. You know, so poke some yes. holes in it and drizzle honey over the top yep. so the honey just kind of seeps all into sucked it. Yep. into it. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, oh, that sounds good. Yep. Know that uh, it's not exactly what I would call light in calories. <laughs> um, but That's what makes it delicious. <laughs> right. You know what would be great to do, too, would be to get... So you can get honeys that are made 
in different areas that's that true. have different like flavor profiles. Oh, God. So lavender you could, honey. So that you could make delicious. no, no, not even lavender honey. I'm talking about like wildflower oh, honey versus too. versus or like orange blossom honey orange blossom, because the true. bees get pollen from different plants, right, right. and so the honey has slightly different flavors. So I would like to like make the cake with like a wildflower honey, which is very light, and then do a poke and the drizzle with like an orange blossom honey, that which is a little heavier. Right. My favorite beer of all time mm. uh, comes from a brewery up in Grand Rapids called mm. Railtown. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's your favorite beer as well, I think. It's the... No, we can't remember. <laughs> Dang it, I hate it when my mind quits working. Citra? Yeah, it's Citra, Citra Warrior. Yeah. And Citra Warrior actually has honey in it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so every year that they make it, it tastes slightly different mm-hmm. depending on the where the bees have been. Yeah, mm-hmm. so... You yep. get a slightly different flavor, but oh my gosh, it's so it's good. It's a good, anyway. it's a quality beer. Yep. So uh, that's it. So for drink that. some Citra Warrior with your honey cakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there you go. Citra ex- Warrior or mead. Cakes. Drink a drink a oh, mead. A good mead. Yeah. yeah. And yeah. experiment with the type of honey that you're mm-hmm. going to use. Yep. Um, that's it. Yeah, I think done? we're done. Yeah. I think we're yeah, done. We've done all our, our planned mythologies. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Covered all our content. We're at under two hours. Hallelujah. Wow. That's amazing. And then once you've uh, edited it, it'll be even shorter. So Excellent. So you can find us in a bunch of different places, but the probably the easiest place to go to is just go to the number three, pagansandacat.com, and everything's listed there. Yep. You Got can a bunch also of links. find the majority of it listed on on an episode. Yeah, on individual episodes. On individual episodes. So you can find that's where episodes? you can find links <laughs> to Twitter and Facebook and Yeah, all the stuff we Discord do. and everything. Right, yep. Yep. And then And I, our Patreon. I yeah, this yeah, we was, have a Patreon and a Red Bubble and right, you know, yep. that kind of stuff. Yeah. I think this was pretty cool. So we got. Did I talk about this last time? Oh, oh no, 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 talk okay. about it. Talk about it. it. This is very cool. So you all had asked for a very long time that we put up a links list yep. that had all of the links that I happen to have accumulated right. over forever. Our assorted resources. Yeah. So we put that up. Which I thought was pretty cool. We finally got it up yeah. on the on the website. It took us forever and a day to get it up there. But we got an email not long ago. A couple of weeks yeah, ago. A couple, of, a couple weeks. of weeks ago from a librarian who said they had been listening to, I guess, the podcast mm-hmm. and then discover I, the links. Yeah, uh, um, and there's the the library was doing a program. Yeah, they were right, doing it for, for, for kids. children. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And it was on mythologies and different religions and things yeah. like that. Right. And well, storytelling. And storytelling. Storytelling, storytelling yeah. in different cultures. Yes. Yeah. And, and they somehow discovered our... Links list. Li- list of assorted links. Yep. And provided that as a resource to the kids who were doing the program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the kids apparently liked the list. Um, and they were super excited because they had found one that we didn't have on the list. So they sent it to us in an email so that we could make our list even better. That's yep. right. So we have added the resource provided by the children of a library we don't know the name of yep. to our massive links list. So it has been updated. It's now got extra Germanic resources because right. that's what they sent us. Yep. yep. And so we want to thank the, the, the library, kids. the yep. kids, and the librarian because they're going to continue to to have that links list available. Mm-hmm. And yep. Three Pagans and a Cat is on there. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I think it's a really cool program that the that the library is oh, putting on. It's a great on. program to encourage children in you know to learn more about various cultures. Mm-hmm. The the gist of the program is to teach them about cultures and languages yep. and mythology and things like that. Right. And sort of broaden the scope. Yeah. I yeah. guess because because exactly. so often like in schools they. Only are going to teach you know the Western canon, right? 
Um, they're going to cover Greek mythology, but you know, there's a pretty good chance they're not going to cover any other mythologies. So this, this, they were saying, this librarian was saying that the links that they got from our mm-hmm. website assisted in that, and so the kids just wanted to to help to yep. participate and to add to it. Yeah, and to so, add to so. It. so we're yeah, we thought that was pretty cool. That. Yeah. I also found us listed on a library's website as one of their top podcasts for spirituality. That's crazy. So oh it's a library God. in Indiana. Wild. Cool. Yeah, so, you That's know. That's very cool. I'm yeah. always doing little bits of uh, research yeah, on that to yeah. see where we've ended up. Cars, Google alerts. Right, Google <laughs> alerts pop so up. So we're really, we just. You know you just, count when a library lists you, you on their website. Yeah. <laughs> and honestly, that would not be possible without our, our listeners yeah. yep. and our patrons and all, just everybody who supports us just by listening and so, mm-hmm. and sharing the podcast. Yeah, I can tell we when you guys really have shared it. the podcast to someplace that has like a, a lot of members like when you share it to your Facebook groups or whatever because right. we always get a big unexpected a boost. boost yeah and, and listenership we, and yeah. we really appreciate it. and we we love what we do with you guys on discord and facebook and twitter and so as car mentioned previously you can find all those links yeah. at three pagans and a cat.com yep. yep that's the number three pagans and a cat.com yep so, yeah, that's, I think that's it at this point, isn't it not? Yep. Yeah, no, we're, think, that's everything. But, yeah, uh, so I think that's everything. I think we're good to go. All right, okay, cool. Well, thank you, everybody. Yes. Yeah, I'm, I'm going to stop and, the recording. And you're going to stop. Yep. That's yeah. what he keeps saying. As we slowly well, find. I had to find the mouse. <laughs> the mouse. The mouse. The mouse. The mouse. The mouse. The mouse. You've been listening to Three Pagans and a Cat. Find out more information at www.threepagansandacat.com.